0: Welcome to the Ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Well, I'm going to continue with what I ministered on last week about your expectations. But I want to do it a little differently because we're going to have communion this morning and I want to tie it in also with Christmas because today is the first day of Advent. In our tradition, communion was all about the crucifixion, the horror, the terribleness of the the crucifixion and what horrible sinners we were and we needed the blood of Christ to cover us. Never a celebration, never looking at what Jesus actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. You know, the grave is empty. He is resurrected. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and we are sitting with him. But then there there was also, when when it was Advent time, there are a lot of, of different traditions. But the one thing that almost every traditional Advent calendar will agree on, is the very first day of Advent is a day of expectation. We're looking forward to the birth of the Savior. Amen? Well, if you're looking forward to the birth of the Savior, He only came for one reason. To die. So the death and the birth are intimately acquainted. And it's about this expectation that we talked about last week, and I'm, I don't want to get real technical, but I, I do need to get technical here for a minute. We looked at it in Luke chapter two at Simeon and at Anna. When Jesus was born on the eighth day, they took him into the, to the temple to have him circumcised because you circumcised baby boys on the eighth day. And it said that for both Simeon and Anna that they were waiting expectantly. That was the Greek word prosdekomai. Pros means to lean in, to lean towards someone, to get physically close. Dekamai means to take something by the hand, to make it your own, to embrace it. It is a, it is a, a, a word that describes an intimate act. You know, we all have our personal space. And there, we, we've all known people, we'll just leave it at that, that they just don't recognize a person's personal space, they get too close. And your instinct is when they get too close, you just want to take a little step back. But there are times where this, and I say it's an intimate act, this is what you see between two people that are in love, a man and a woman. You lean in and you get close because you want to make that person your own. I will never forget, um, you all know my daughter, you know Matt, used to be the associate pastor here, she came home for summer break, she had a month off from teaching in London, came home to visit us, she met Matt, within two weeks they were dating. Now the the, the sad part was everybody in the church knew they were dating except mom and dad. (laughs) We're just oblivious, you know, and nobody ever, I guess everybody was afraid to say something. But I did know that something was up because they came, Matt came to pick her up one night to go do something. And we said, we want to get a picture. And Matt, of course, you know, her shoulder is way under his armpit. He's such a big boy. But Matt walked up to the side of her and put his arm, just casually put his arm around her. And the second they walked out of the house, I told Gina, I said, there's something going on between those two because Tiffany never lets anybody get that close to her. If you don't know, now she will let me hug her. shes a, I, I think I am, other than Matt, I'm probably the only human being that gets an intimate hug out of my daughter. If 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 other than me, you you go to hug my daughter, you get one of these. You lean sideways and she'll kind of pat you, but she's bending from the waist to keep you away a little bit. She's just learned over the years, you know, she can try it, but I'll squeeze. Uh, If I squeeze the life out of her, I'm going to hug her the way I hug her because I'm her dad. It is an intimate act, though. It is very intimate. I, I, I approach my wife the same way. This is what Simeon and Anna were doing. They were intimately, they made their quest for the Messiah who was to come there, expectation. It wasn't just a prophecy that everybody knew about. It was theirs. It's mine. And they claimed it. We saw it in, in Titus chapter 2 and I'm going to go over this real, real quickly. <clears throat> Titus in his preaching in, in Titus 2 verse 11 says for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Great goal to get to. But notice verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. The looking for is that same word, prostekamai. They were intimately looking and had their minds set Jesus is coming back. And that, that mindset, that expectation helped them to deny ungodliness and to, to deny worldly lust and to live soberly and righteously and godly in an ungodly age. Amen? Same thing when we look at Jude 21. Verse, verse 21 says, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads unto eternal life. We don't just, it's not just, I know God's got mercy on me. I need mercy. No, it's intimately embracing God's mercy and saying, God, your mercy will give me eternal life, and I'm grabbing on, and I'm hugging, and I ain't letting go. That's what we're talking about here. Jesus, and I'm not going to go there, but in in Hebrews 10, it says that when he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he sat down from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. That waiting is the same word. Jesus, from outward appearance, his, his sacrifice, not outward appearance, His sacrifice is done. He's not going back to Calvary. Not for anybody. He did that once for all. It's all taken care of. And He sat down, but the work is not finished. He's intimately embracing the expectation that his enemies, the devil, and all those that align themselves with the devil, are going to be made his footstool. That He's looking to us for that. Now when we, we look at communion, we look at, this is, is a, a, a symbol or it is a part of or an expression of a Jewish wedding ceremony. There, there were a couple of things that had to be done for a, a, um, a Jewish male to get married. The, the first step involved the establishment of a marriage covenant. And that, that covenant was set, first of all, the prospective gri- bridegroom always took the initiative. Now I know we grow up, and we're in a day now where, you know, a- anything goes when it comes to dating, which, you know. There's pros and cons to dating, probably more cons than pros. Let's just face it. Well, we're just going to try things out. Well, you don't get to know someone until you live with them anyway. And when you get to live with them, you're probably going to figure out you don't like them real well anyway. Because you're really going to see this all of them. Amen? It's hard to hide indefinitely. And when you're dating, let's face it, it's a reason. and, And if you've ever thought of this, and I, this is just an observation of mine. Every person that I've ever seen that's had an affair with someone that they worked with, Just by physical reckoning, when I look at the person that 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 they're married to and the person that they're having the affair with, the vast majority of the time, and this is just my personal taste, but I would look at their spouse and say, much better looking person than the one they're having the affair with. Then why in the world would you ever do that? They do it because it doesn't have anything to do with physical appearance usually. It has to do with they, they have forgotten their marriage covenant and they have, they, it has come down to the fact that we have gotten comfortable with one another. Now there is, a, there is a good side to that. I want to be able to go home and relax and be me, warts and all. If I don't have some place I can go home and just relax and be me, be the real me, I'm not going to be a very happy camper for long. But when you go to work, you get up, you shower, you shave. If you're a woman, you put on your makeup, you put on something some nice smell them, and you go, and you're on your good behavior. It's like a date. And they see these people, and it's like, they talk to me, they look good, they smell good. This is what I'm living with. This is not reality. This is not marriage. Marriage is living with someone when they haven't shaved, when they don't put their makeup on, when they may not look their best. And when they feel good, they don't have a bit of a problem letting you know about it. Now that may not be the greatest thing to do. In fact, it's not the greatest thing to do. In fact, let me just meddle here. I've got off in the ditch. I might as well just bury myself. The reason and the only reason that that there ever is a divorce that takes place is because we have forgotten and quit doing the things that made us fall in love. That's just pretty much a fact. When you are dating someone, you actively pursue them. You do things to impress them. You do things to make them want to be around you. And then when you get married, it's like, well, okay. We don't have to do anything now. I got it. Got the ring on the finger. That's it. Well, if that's your attitude, let me just be brutally frank. You're a fool. Because what you don't strive... If you don't keep doing the things that made you fall in love to begin with you won't stay in love as far as the emotions go. Now, true love goes way beyond emotions. But if you're going to stay emotionally attached, you have to do the same work that made you fall in love, continue to do it, and continue to do it, and put effort into it to keep them involved. And if the great thing is, if both parties do that, man, the emotions can stay as high as you want. Now, that doesn't mean that the pressures of life won't come in. It does not mean that you won't have times where, you know, you just kind of have to do it by faith because there are going to be times when you don't like them. My wife and I have joked for years. I think she was joking. <clears throat> Divorce was never an option, but murder, very possible. In fact, if you, could, if you could play it right, you could get a light sentence, get mercy out of the judge, and then you could really have a great testimony after you get out of prison and just make the preaching circuit. Sad but true. But getting back to communion, to the wedding ceremony, the, the bridegroom takes the initiative. And the bridegroom, what he does is he goes to the father. Goes to the father's house and talks to the father about the bride. The bride really doesn't have much to say about it till the end. Because even in a Jewish Jewish household, she can say no. If you look back, and I'm not going to go back there, but you go back to Genesis, when God was going to cut the covenant with Abraham. He told Abraham... You you assemble all these animals, and you you, first thing you do, you slit their throat, you bleed them out, because we want the life of the animal out, and then you split their carcass right down the spinal cord, right down the middle, and you lay out the halves. And then we're going to cut covenant, and and walking through that, you establish the terms of the covenant, and they normally would walk in a figure eight, which is a symbol for infinity. It's an eternal covenant. And God God the Father told Abraham to do this, but God the Father knew Abraham can't keep this covenant. So what did He do? He knocked him out. And it says a smoking lamp came down. A pre-incarnate manifestation of Jesus came down, and the Son cut covenant, marriage covenant, with the Father to get his bride. And he walked through those slain animals in a figure eight and said, I make an eternal covenant with my father that I will pay the price for my bride. And there was a bride price. Man had sons. You put your sons to work in the field. You prosper. A man has girls. You can't put them to work in the field. So what do you do when they get married? You get the bride price. So you want to marry them off to the wealthiest guy you can find. Get a big price. You prosper. Jesus came and told the Father, I will come. The price for my bride is my blood. I'm going to walk through these animals, but I'm willing to shed my blood give up my life for my bride. That was the price. Now after the father and the, the, the bridegroom negotiate the price. And agree on what the price is going to be. Then they come and they take a cup of wine. Think of the last supper. Jesus took the cup. And he said this is the cup of the new covenant. Do this. In remembrance of me. The bride, if she wanted to marry that groom, took that covenant and they each drank from the same cup. And when they did, they were officially betrothed. And the bridegroom would go off and he would go to prepare a place for his bride. And he didn't know when it would be done, because if, <laughs> they knew human nature. If I get betrothed to my wife, and i got to f- fix a place for us to live, two two-by-fours and a sheet of plywood, and i got to lean to, and we're going to get married. We're consummating the marriage tomorrow. But if my father has to decide when the house is ready, he's going to make sure I've got a good house for my wife. Well, Jesus has, has gone. He's gone to prepare a place for us. And only when the Father says, it's finished, can He come back for His bride. Amen? Now, when we look at this, we, we saw even Jesus, when He sat down at the right hand of the Father, He sat down expecting... That his enemies are going to be made his footstool. That's our job. In Luke 19 last week, we saw Jesus told the parable of the ten servants and he gave these ten servants different amounts of money and he said, now I've got to go home for a while. You occupy till I come, come back. And the word there for occupy quite literally means it's a root word for, for, to practice your trade. Well, we are those servants. We are servants of the Most High God. We are the bride of Christ. We are also the body of Christ. We have many identifications here. We are one with Christ. We are His bride. We are His, His body. We have many things, but we're also His servants. And part of our job is to take possession and control the place that He's conquered. When He went to the cross through through His crucifixion, when he died, he went into hell and conquered that place. He made a, It says that, that, that he made a show openly of the devil. The, the picture is of a Roman emperor going in and taking a, a, a captive king. They would clamp a, a, a collar around that guy's neck, put a chain on it, and drag him through the streets of Rome and said, this is that king who stood up against me. If you're a king, you probably don't want to do that because he's in chains. I cut his thumbs and his big toes off. He can never hold a sword and he can never run. So he cannot fight me. That's what Jesus did. He took control, but his enemy is still alive. And he's told us, I want you to occupy his territory. He has lots of kids out there. Lots of followers. I've, I've, I've been listening to Christmas music, because I, I basically I start Christmas music sometimes toward the end of July. And, but, but one of the, the, the songs that I have been listening to, part of the, the lyrics say that it's about Bethlehem. Bethlehem missed their visitation. They didn't care that Mary and Joseph were there. They didn't care that their Messiah was being born in a stable. Nobody knew except for the few shepherds that, that the angels came and announced it to. Well, we live in a world that cares a lot more. I could go out here in the parking lot, publicly kill a dog, and I would face jail time for that act. I could go take my wife down to an abortion clinic and kill my unborn child and I will be celebrated as a man of, of passion and good sense. That's a crazy mixed up world. When we value dogs, and I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not out to torture animals, But when when people care about animals more than they care about children, we're in a sick and dying world. And there's only one thing that will ever change that, and that is to get the majority of the people born again. Because until you change your nature, you cannot change your mind. Because you have no desire to change your mind. Well, part of that is what we're, we're doing with communion. We are putting ourselves in remembrance of who we are. We need to have that mindset that I'm not just here by accident. Go over to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at the first two, three verses. Paul sets out three vital facts. They are facts for us in those first three verses. The very first verse of Ephesians, chapter 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. You have to know that you are where you are and you are called to do what you're called to do by the will of God. Jesus came to the Father and called you by name. He didn't, it's not just an accident that you have a relationship with him. He pursued you. Romans chapter 8, and I'm going to read this from the message. Romans 8, verse 29, reads this way, and this is Paul speaking. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The Son stands first in the line of humanity, He restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him. Verse 30 says, after God made that decision of what His children should be like, He followed it up by calling people by name. I love the way the message phrases that. He called us by name. Not only though did He call us by name, it says after He called them by name, He set them on a solid basis with Himself. And then after getting them established, He stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what He had begun. Calling me by name means that I am who I am and I do what I do by the will of God. Each of us has a function by the will of God. He called us by name and placed us in the body for a purpose. And we need to have the expectation that we're going to fulfill that purpose. I'm not just here sucking up air. I'm not just here haphazardly living to, you know, there's going to be some good football games on today. I need to be here to see them. No, I need to be here to fulfill the will of God in my life. Nothing wrong with watching football or basketball or doing any leisure things. But there is a much more important part of my life. It's to fulfill the word of God. Now, the second part of verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. So he's called me by name. I'm here by his will. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. He says he's already calling us saints, which means we have been set apart. When you go through the marriage covenant, the Jewish marriage covenant, when the father and the prospective husband set the bride price and the, and the, the groom says, I will pay the price for her. Then they go to the bride and, and, and the groom says, here's a cup of, of our covenant. He drinks, she drinks. It's an agreement. It's sealed in blood. Has not been consummated, but it's been sealed by the blood of that cup. Then she is set apart. She is a saint. She is my bride. And I call her my bride. And she looks at herself as my bride. I'm not just some woman who may get married someday. I'm already married. Now, we haven't consummated the marriage yet. We haven't had the marriage supper, which is quite a celebration in the Jewish circles. And and it's quite a celebration today, but it's nothing compared to what it was back then. Back then, I'll just give you a little hint. When, When the bridegroom finally, his father says, okay, you've got a good house here for your bride, go get her. Well, he would go back and, and and try to surprise her. But so that it wasn't too big a surprise, they would give a shout just before they got to the house. And she would put her her bridal clothes on and she would grab her lamp. And at the midnight hour, he would come and get her and take her to her new home. And all of the wedding party would flock after them. And they would have a party. The bride and the bridegroom would go into an inner room and consummate the marriage. And the the bridal party would party for seven days. The bridegroom could come in and out of the bridal suite. The bride couldn't. The bride stayed secluded for seven days. And then at the end of the seven days, the bride and the groom returned to the bridal party. That seven days is a type of the seven years of the tribulation. When Jesus has, when our place is prepared and the Father says, go get your bride, He's going to come with a shout, with the trump of God, with the shout of the Archangel, and we're going to go to the bridal, um, um, the bridal feast for seven years. And all of the, the, the wedding party, the Old Testament saints, are going to be there. Those that get martyred during the tribulation, they're going to be trickling in one by one as they get killed. And we're going to be secluded with the, bride, with the groom. And we won't be able to come back to our house, our home, this planet, till after the seven years. But when we come back, oh, it's going to be brand new. It's going to be renewed and then we're going to have a thousand years to reign on the earth with our groom. Amen? But between now and when the Father says, go get them, we are to occupy. We are saints. We're set apart. We're already faithful. He looks at us and says, you're faithful because you're my bride. I'm not faithful because I do everything right. I'm faithful because he marked me. He stamped me on the forehead and said, this one's mine. He's set apart and he is faithful. Now you may look at me and if you watch me close enough, you'll look at me and you'll, there'll be times when you'll say, you're not being very faithful. Well, you take it up with my groom. Take it up with him. He called me faithful even when I don't behave faithfully even when I don't act like I'm the bride of Christ, even when I don't act like I'm the groom of Christ, he still looks at me and says, he's mine. I set him apart. I paid the price for him. And I'm going to have him. Amen? The devil will come all the time. And he will tell you, you're not worth it. He doesn't care. He doesn't even really love you. Because, you know, he did. Yeah, you got born again, but you're dirty now. He doesn't want you. He's a liar. He's a liar. Our expectation has to be, and our mindset has to be no, I'm leaning in and intimately embracing my Savior. I don't, you know when it's most important for me to lean in and embrace my Savior? When I've done the dumbest thing. When I've been out wallowing in the mud with the pigs and I come up out of that slop and I'm just filthy dirty, that's when I lean in because he'll clean me up when I embrace him. Amen? Now our tendency is go run off. My mama, oh Lord, bless her heart. She'd live to be 120 if she hadn't had me. But she could tell. She knew, now she knew all three, my brothers too, but she knew me best of all, at least in my opinion, because she could read me, and nine times out of ten, if I avoided her, she knew. What'd you do, John Roberts? I ain't do nothing, Mama. What are you talking about? Look me in the eye. No, Mama. I don't want to. Why? Because I knew if I looked her in the eye, she's going to squeeze it out of me. Now, the great thing was... Rarely did did, now, Mama would lecture you till you would beg her just to beat you, because the beating would be easier than the lecture. Dad, you wanted to talk and not get the whipping, because Dad'd kill you with three licks, and his lecture would be thirty seconds long. And Mama would look at him and say, "That's not enough." So the practice was, Mama would lecture you till you begged for Dad to just beat you, and then it's all over with. But If I would go run to mom and say, I screwed up mom, I did, I did this. I don't think I ever did that, I didn't find mercy. Even my father. I remember one time, I was a teenager, and I literally, I I fell asleep at my girlfriend's house. We were watching TV late at night, and I fell asleep laying right out on the floor. Woke up at about 4.30 in the morning. Oh Lord, I knew I was dead. That little car I drove, it had never covered those curves any faster. And I I turned the lights off, cruised up the driveway real slow, tiptoed in the house, was in the downstairs bathroom and when I turned around my father was standing there with about a three-day growth of beard and he was tired. He'd already been out looking in the ditches because my mother had sent him out twice to see where I was dead. I knew I was dead. And it, I, I literally had not done anything except I just got too tired and I did, should have come home earlier. It was my fault. And I'll just, I'll never forget. He just held out his hand and said, Keys. One word, keys. That was it. And I handed him the keys and shut my eyes and prayed hard. <clears throat> now, I didn't get those keys back for about a month. But I also got mercy because I know what he wanted to do. I've been there as a dad. You want to just choke them till they're dead, resurrect them, and choke them back down again. But I got mercy instead. Amen? That's what Jesus wants to do with us because he tells us we are saints. We are set apart and we are faithful. And then in verse 2, he tells us why. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can do all of this. We can lean in for that, that... intimate embrace with with the Father and with Jesus because He has poured out His grace. His grace doesn't just get us born again. It completes everything that we are. He has remade me. He seated me with Him in heavenly places. Amen? It brings me, in fact, in verse 3, He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, past tense, has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He's already given me the legal right to everything I ever need. This is like Bill Gates and and, um, Steve Jobs both coming and saying, here, here's a checkbook, you have access to all of our accounts. If you need something, write a check, it's already yours. Believe me. If that was a fact in my natural life, I would live in a nicer house and drive a much nicer car than I drive. I would never worry about money. Well, let me tell you, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates are poor misers compared to what Jesus has given me. And it's not just eternal life, it's everything that pertains to life and godliness. And he's given me the signed check. So just fill it out. When you need something, believe me for it and I'll provide it for you. That's all that He's done for us. And when we, when, when we look here at, at our expectation on, in the first day of Advent, we have to look and say, Jesus came. We're going to celebrate that in, what, 21 days. Three weeks. We're going to celebrate uh, excuse me, my math right? 22 days. We're going to celebrate his birth, but he came and was born so that he could live a righteous life, fulfill the law, and die a righteous death. Actually, in one sense, he died an unrighteous death because he died the death for my unrighteousness. And then when that, the price for that unrighteousness was, was done, he came out of the grave and we drank this cup. We not only drink the cup, but we also share in the body. Why? Because we are a part of his body. I am the body of Christ. I'm his hands. I'm his mouthpiece. We talk about people, you need to find Jesus. Do you realize Jesus is not in the world today? He's not here. Now, I realize the Holy Spirit's here, but for God to manifest Himself anywhere on the earth, He requires us. We are His body. He can't speak to people unless He uses our mouth. He doesn't lay hands on people unless it's our hands. It's all through us. Even when he speaks, we were talking about miracles. I remember the night I had decided, I'm done. Life's too hard. I'm not going to live it anymore. I just got to figure out a way to end this so that it's over with and I don't just screw up my brain and sit in a wheelchair and drool for the next 30 years. And I was set. My heart was set. I'm done. I am going to kill myself and and glad for it. And God came into my room and spoke to me. Simple little word, if you'll just hang on, it will get better. It's all He said to me. But then He put hope in my heart. But do you know why He did that? Because somebody, somewhere, was praying for me. Why were they praying for me? Because God put it on their heart to pray for me. They didn't just pray for me because they're great saints. They prayed for me because God looked down and he said, that's my child. I cannot let this happen. Get on your knees and pray for that boy. And you don't quit praying until I tell you to quit praying. And somebody answered that call. And they prayed until God said, okay, the devil's backed off. Now he'll hear my voice. And it changed my life. It was a day that marked me. I have never been the same. And I was raised in church. I am not joking when I said from, from as my earliest memory, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and it wasn't until that stupid bedroom that my life changed. It took that for God to really get a hold of me. It's pitiful. It's, I say that to my shame. You would have thought as much word as I got over the years, I would have figured something out before then. But I didn't. But He didn't give up on me. How much more once you're his bride? Once you are his family? And he says, that one's set apart. That one's faithful. He's declared it. I'm not going to be dumb enough to argue with him. I mean, that is the height of stupidity. So why argue? Instead, I want to jump in here. And gentlemen, if you somebody wants to go let... If the kids are coming down for communion, have them come on down. And if you all would come on, distribute the elements. This bread and this cup that we're going to partake of—it's it is a symbol of an of a covenant that's already been made. This isn't something we do, and I don't. I don't. I. I Doctrines are good, but I'm not getting on a war with anybody over doctrine. But there is a doctrine that that you are saved by taking communion. No, it's just juice and it's a wafer. But it is a symbol of a covenant that I already have. If I don't already have the covenant, if I already haven't been made one with Him then this is just, I might as well go home and have rye bread because, you know, this is like eating styrofoam and there's not enough juice to even wash it down. I'd rather have a glass full. But because I already have made this covenant, the bridegroom came. And and the amazing thing is, it wasn't a quick thing. It took thousands of years. Between when he cut the covenant, first of all, he sent Adam and Eve knowing they were going to foul it all up. And then he went through this huge long process. He found Abraham finally after thousands of years. And he made an agreement with Abraham knowing that Abraham's never going to be able to make it. So he sent his son to stand in Abraham's place. And then for another thousand years or so until he could bring Messiah as the seed of Abraham into the world. And then even after that, after Jesus came and and was crucified and conquered death and hell, he's waited another 2,000 years. Why? Because none of us had been born when Jesus came. If he'd, have, if he'd have ended it right then, we would have never made it. We would have never been created. So he has delayed this process for us. For us. As we take this, we do it to remind ourselves. First of all, we take the, the, the bread, which symbolizes the, the body of Christ. Everybody focuses on the blood, and rightfully so. The blood represented the life of the animal. So Jesus' blood represented the life of of Jesus. But His body was also broken. His body was broken so that my body could be healed. In fact, it's not that I'm looking for healing. Healing is part of the covenant that Jesus established when He made the covenant with the Father and Abraham's day. That's why you want some great healing scriptures? Go back into the Psalms. When, when we sent out the prayer chain request for um, Clark... The Lord led Gina and she brought it to me and I said, that bears witness with me. We use Psalm 107, verse 19 and 20. Cry out to God in, and this is the Robert's paraphrase. Cry out to God in your distress because He has sent His word and healed you. That was years before Jesus ever touched the earth. Psalm 103 says, forget none of His benefits... He has forgiven all of my sins and healed all of my diseases. That was before Jesus. That was before His death, His burial, His resurrection, His physical life. How could God do that? Because He did it all with the the covenant. Actually, He did it all before He ever created the first bit of energy, the first empty space, and the first Adam. The Father and the Son said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create this place, and it's going to cost you your life. Not only is it going to cost you your life, but you're going to be confined to a physical body for all eternity. Wow. That's quite a sacrifice. And Jesus said, yep, let's do it. And then they took all the time from creation to today to bring it about and all we're doing is occupying. But we do it with the expectation that my body is healed now because of what Jesus did. My sins are forgiven now because of what Jesus did. And I am going to lean in and embrace these two parts of this covenant. They are mine. It's, sure, it's, it's something the churches do all the time. But this is just between me and Him. It's His body for me. It's His blood for me. Now you have the choice of making an intimate decision and leaning in and embracing it for you. But I can't embrace it for you. I can only embrace it for me. Amen? This is His body. A symbol of His body. Broken for our bodies. That... In the same way that his dead body is resurrected and alive today, my body, even though it is mortal, it's subject to death, it still is healed. And I declare that I am healed no matter what my symptoms say. Take and eat. And in the same way, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took that cup This was the bride's cup. He had already set the price with the Father. And he offers us this cup and says, Do you accept the proposal to become my bride, to become one with me? And as we take this, we take it knowing that his blood was shed to forgive our sins, to bring us new life. But it's our acceptance of what he did paying that price and saying, yes, I will be one with you for all eternity. I am a saint, I'm set apart, and I am faithful because of what his blood did, not because of anything I've done. If that's your confession, take and drink. Father, We thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for the blood and the body that Jesus sacrificed at the cross. That when he died, we died. And when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. And we are now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And Father, I declare for myself and anyone else that gets in agreement with this, that I am going to live my life. Not in a way that I think will get me to heaven. But I will live my life in a way that I believe will bring heaven to earth. That I will be able to manifest the glory and the ability and the righteousness and the mercy of Jesus. To my neighbors, to my friends, to my acquaintances. To every person you speak to me to witness to, I will share with them what you have done for me and invite them to become part of this family of God. That's my declaration, Father. I will live with the reality that I'm seated with Jesus and I am bringing heaven to earth through my every act in the name of Jesus. I thank you for that. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.